This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Matt's Splained. Here's a question for your life. Are work notifications ruining your life? I feel like I'm really being called out here today, Matt. Um, do you spend more time reacting to pings than your actual work? Um, are productivity tools ruining your productivity? You're not alone. Matt, are, are the pings ruining your life? Well, no, they're not. Um, I know that the, uh, the pitch for today is uh, uh, you're not alone. But yeah, no, I'm not one of that group. I mean, I keep my stuff huh. pretty well boxed. But then, you know, I work as a consultant. So essentially, I'm working with clients rather than a team. So the dynamics that I experience are, are quite different. But it's true. Yeah. This is an issue that, that seems to affect a large number uh, of of people, of workers, uh, who live in fear of those, you know, work time chirps and beeps. And, mm-hmm. you know, work is something that we talked a lot about at the start of the pandemic a couple of years ago, about the shifts to remote work and the explosion of tools that can help to facilitate that shift. But we haven't really followed up on those uh, trends uh, too much over the past few months. I, I can tell you that at the height of the pandemic, there were two things that happened. One, I started running and hiding from my phone. And secondly, I bought a second phone um, so I could have a work phone and a non-work phone, um, which was something I never thought I'd do. But uh, enough about that. Um, I'm surprised that we're not talking about the new Apple releases today. No. Well, one of the reasons for that is I think um – one of the, the the more interesting things about the Apple product launches is actually how muted the media response has been. Even uh, yeah. going to some of the big you know tech sites, it doesn't seem to have even made top billing, which tells mm. you quite a lot about how the world has moved on over the last couple of years. And in fact, you know the most interesting thing about that Apple launch wasn't the products themselves, but kind of tucked away Apple's commitment to replace passwords with biometrics and encryption keys. Now, we yeah. will come back to that as a story, but you know, today isn't about Apple. Uh, we are talking about work. So I thought this week and next week, you know, we could do a bit of a, a two-parter. This week, mm-hmm. uh, to look at how well we've integrated uh, and coped with some of these new technologies. And then next week, to look at some of the emerging trends that are defining how we as you know employees or as workers actually look at work, respond to work. But we'll start with, uh, with those notifications with essentially noise. Now, we did a mm-hmm. show a few weeks back about the benefits of silence and the increasingly noisy world that we find ourselves in, and how our digital devices are designed to cut through all that background radiation specifically to grab our attention. And we talked about noise levels, and we talked about the fact that it isn't always the loudest sounds that are the most annoying and intrusive. Like the sound of a baby crying. Well, yeah, you know, for, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you did that. Um, you know, for some people, uh, that noise means, oh my gosh, I need to go and help. Whereas for other people, mm. that noise means I'm leaving and I'm probably not coming back. Uh, and that's because there's that evolutionary aspect to a baby's cry that triggers our 
fight or flight reflex. Uh, I'm assuming that you're all flight. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, that noise signals one thing to me, and that is it's somebody else's problem. But there is one noise that irritates me even more. Now, of course, that's the noise that my computer makes. Yours may have something that's essentially the same but different. Yeah, but don't you mute your phone and your computer? Well, I know we kind of had this chat a couple of weeks ago. And yes, you know, my phone is completely muted all of the time. And that's something that's doable for me because, you know, I wear a smartwatch and I've set specific notifications and contacts. So my my wrist basically vibrates when there are things that I need to to watch. But I can't get my desktop computer to stop pinging. I've put it on various mute or silent modes. I've manually switched notifications off both in the notification center and I've gone into the app settings themselves. But for some reason, some of the apps still ping. And usually that happens when I'm recording these shows. Um, but because my sound's diverted <laughs> to my headphones, uh, it's me they disrupt rather than coming through into the mic. But mm. of course, you know, not everyone does silence their notifications. My wife often doesn't, and she's a lot more popular than I am. So if she leaves her phone or computer in the room, it plagues me with endless pinging, dinging, uh, and singing. Uh, mm. And in any case, you know, our phones know that we're actively trying to ignore them. So they're developing ever more clever methods to let us know that, you know, there's a new post, a new like, or a new email. They flash different colors and combinations of lights at us. They light up the bedroom in the middle of the night um, just to tell us that an insomniac colleague has had some kind of 4 a.m. brain start. Now, yeah. <laughs> Funny you should say that. But anyway, wh where does this fit in, though, with um, the whole pandemic productivity thing? Well, for starters, we're using uh, a lot more um, of what are termed collaborative tools. For example, mm. uh, when I was prepping this show, I was looking at a beta release for a piece of software that we've both used from time to time, a piece of software called Descript, which has yeah. now become a, a full-fledged video editor as well as being an audio editor. And one of its latest features is collaborative video editing. Now, one part of me can see how that might be useful. You know, it gives you the ability to tweak scripts. You can be changing captions. Somebody else can be adding to B-roll. And you don't all have to wait until the previous person has finished before you can get started. So I see that. Mm -hmm. I see how it could potentially improve the workflow. But the idea of half a dozen people piling on and tweaking a video at the same time kind of makes my brain freeze because, you know, the thing that you're trying to edit will be changed and morphed by somebody else while you're doing those edits. So that mm. requires a lot of human level cooperation and agreement to prevent that task from becoming overwhelmingly convoluted. And I think that's where we get to that reality. Uh, you know, that, that idea of what we can cope with lags behind the abilities of the software. I mean, it freaks me out when I'm in a Google Doc and somebody alters the font size of the text that I'm working on. You know, that's enough for me. So somebody editing video uh, whilst I'm, yeah, I can see how this could be a problem. Well, right. especially um, as um, uh, I'm assuming that the person is making the font size smaller because that's what always happens yeah. to me as well. So <laughs> yeah. I can't see anything on the screen anymore. It's <laughs> yeah. like, hey, 
Just because you've got eyes, we don't all. Right. And everything just moves around and it gets misplaced. And Anyway, uh, but we started with the premise of looking back at trends that began during the lockdowns. Are we seeing familiar levels of oversaturation with more uh, mainstream digital office products, do you think? Well, this is where it would be really interesting to hear from our listeners and for them to tell us, um, you know, what their experience is with the kind of current generation of productivity tools has been. Um, so, you know, feel free, pop us a message from one of your socials. Let us know how you're getting on with all this stuff. But one of the reasons that I'm doing this was a friend uh, who messaged me about a relative's experience with uh, their company and using the messaging and comms tool Slack. Now, I'm not going to mm -hmm. name names in this instance because I don't want anyone getting into trouble with their bosses. Um, but uh, my friend was saying that all team communications happen over the platform. So essentially no email. So everything from, you know, sharing documents, um, general communications, having those little team huddles and aside all take place within that platform. And mm -hmm. the result is that this person spends their day managing Slack rather than doing any work. So in this is instance, isn't Slack the work like you've just said? Well, I think that's where we get into the, the kind of confusion with this territory. Now, gamification is a, a huge buzzword in everything from education to work to um, gaming. Um, but mm. we get into complicated territory when we start looking at this kind of uh, trend in terms of gamification for work. That's going to bring us back to the pings, isn't it? Well, in a sense, you know, a lot of people gain huge satisfaction from ticking off tasks, especially when they're rewarded with a ping or a screen flash, or you get one of those quotes that, you know, kind of improves your mood. And a lot of productivity apps also have these um, pop-ups that tell you how awesome you are when you hit milestones. So the apps are designed <laughs> to give you these little dopamine rushes as a reward for getting things done. So that brings like us back to that earlier. Talk. Yeah, exactly. So that comes mm. back to that question, which is, isn't Slack the work? Well, no. Mm. And I'm not singling Slack out here, by the way. This is the same with most productivity tools that are built into our, you know, our kind of office suites or whatever. The work is still the work. The actual job or the task that needs completing, that's the work. Slack or Google mm. Docs or whatever is simply the delivery mechanism for sort of, well, not for, for finishing and sharing that work. So uh, unlike uh, the more traditional methods, you know, like I say traditional, uh, email, well, yeah, I mean, that's the point. Isn't it strange to talk about email as traditional? Um, that, but, that's why my, my brain kind of stopped for a second, you know? Yeah, but, but that, that is the tradition, you know. Um, but even email has become a lot more like instant messaging. There are lots of apps like Spike that skin your email to look more like a Slack or a WhatsApp-style tool. Uh, and again, you know, these productivity tools tend to highlight or emphasize how collaborative they are. But when you combine that with the gamification elements, that can push them into being more performative than collaborative. So you get mm -hmm. into this cycle of having to prove that you're working by commenting on every single thing that gets posted within the channels you're a member of. Uh, we did uh, a show a few years ago about an automated telephone assistant. I think it was by 
Google. Uh, it would make calls, reply emails, all on your behalf, you know, scheduling appointments. Um, but it would pose as a person rather than as a machine. So we talked about these hypothetical scenarios where two sets of these assistant machines could end up talking to the, uh, each other in these kind of infinite loops when neither realizes that the other is talking to a machine. And we mm -hmm. seem to be voluntarily doing something similar with these productivity tools. You know, because of these gamification aspects, every comment becomes its own task, something you have mm. to look at, to consider, and to comment on the comment. So without some control or direction, the communication tools that are supposed to shortcut processes and increase efficiency can start to actually exponentially increase the workload itself because a comment mm -hmm. gets a comment, gets a comment, gets a comment, gets a comment. So suddenly there are thousands of these things, you know, proliferating. And of course, all of that makes it then much harder to retrieve the information that is actually important. So how much of this then is ab about the tools themselves and how much of it is, is about the way in which um, companies operate? Well, okay, so this isn't a technology is neutral argument. You know, com companies mm. arrive at communication solutions for all sorts of reasons. Might be feature sets. It could be simplicity. It could be flexibility. Usually cost figures pretty highly. Uh, so one of the reasons that the corporate world is such a hodgepodge of incompatible systems is simply because companies have incompatible aims and structures. So the mm. set of features that Slack has may not suit one company as well as Monday or ClickUp might do. Uh, and for all that we like to say things like, there is no I in team, um, teams are groups of individuals with different needs and approaches. So when a company chooses their supposedly optimal digital tool set or toolkit, it will only be optimal for some of their workers. Now, hopefully, mm. It will be a majority of their employees. Occasionally it isn't. You know, history is littered with companies trying out productivity solutions that either don't improve the situation or actively make it worse. So you have all these new tools, you have these new working methodologies, but they're not going to work for everyone because they simply mm. can't work for everyone. That still doesn't get us to the point where the tool becomes the work, though. No, um, but, you know, this is something that I face with a lot of the clients that I consult with. Now, typically I work with small to medium organizations and I, I often work with companies at the startup stage. So that task is slightly easier in a sense because you're building a methodology for working and sharing information from the ground up rather than mm -hmm. imposing something new on a company that's already working at scale. So you have a bit more freedom to tweak and fine tune and figure out the, the best way for all those relevant parties. Uh, mm. You know, this is heresy here, but um, sometimes that might even mean putting different teams within an organization on different tools. Now, <gasps> most of the time, How yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, most of the time, you know, the productivity tools are flexible enough that you don't need to do that but there mm. may be certain use case scenarios where you might want to look at that. And the second heresy, some teams may not need to use the tools at all. Um, mm -hmm. Email, file sharing, and some of the collaborative features in 
you know, the, the software they already have may be all they need to function. And that brings us back to the reasons that the software is there, which we'll talk about more after the break, and the kind of perhaps flawed culture of efficiency that underpins a lot of the, the methodology and thinking. Lovely. Can't wait. Folks, we're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, more from the Lord of the Pinks. Yeah, I said that. You're listening to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. I have a dream. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Plane. I'm Rich Bradbury. Right, are notifications ruining your life? That's the question we're asking on Matt's Plane today. Um, What are we pinging off to now? I actually, I quite like the idea of being the Lord of the Pings. Uh, I can see myself as being a kind of modern day Sauron, you know, an evil uh, with presence, but no solid form. (laughs) I could be that Tolkien-esque figure for the digital Yeah, I I could see that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Um, I'll uh, I'll see Okay, yeah. well, no, I'll, I'll see if Amazon Studios wants to do a big budget epic series about me. Um, I'll I'll have uh, Daniel Craig starring as me or, you know, maybe Jimmy Cart, depends on the way the director <laughs> takes it. Um, and you can have Daniel Radcliffe to play you. Well, he does like weird roles, doesn't he? Um, anyway, you cheeky. So is this your strange way of pivoting that conversation towards efficiency? Because if it is, I don't see how you're marrying these two together. Well, I mean, I'm wasting time and making no sense. That's a great way to talk about efficiency. Um, but no, we we will get onto it in the broader sense shortly. So going back to those productivity tools that are, are, are ruining people's lives with incessant notifications. So we were talking about the role of the company in defining those tools and those performative aspects. So we have to look at the reasons why they're getting those tools in the first place. So efficiency, um, organization, that's one reason. But another reason which may be as important and sometimes even more important is tracking. The tools Mm -hmm. are a way of quantifying how much work someone is doing. Uh, Now, the administrator dashboards of a lot of these apps, they have all sorts of uh, employee performance metrics baked in. Uh, You can see who's more likely to complete tasks on time, how much they're commenting or contributing to team discussions, how many likes their comments or posts get from other teammates. I mean, that's another aspect we haven't looked into. You can like people's comments uh, within these these apps. Um, So that can be even more important for teams teams that are working or distributed remotely um, because RFID tags are no longer telling HR or bosses how much time you spend moving around the offices, how much time you spend in the bathrooms, how much time you spend in pantry areas. So these tools become even more important to see not just that work is being done, but how you're actually doing the work. Yeah. Do you think it's a, a fair use of these tools? 
I mean, it depends what you mean by fair. Um, I'd prefer that kind of surveillance to things like keyloggers and webcam software. And of course, you know, surveillance in the workplace isn't anything new. That's why our mm. line bosses are called supervisors, because they supervise. And of course, supervising means to observe and to direct. So, mm. you know, we often focus too much on their directing role, and we sort of forget that they're also there to observe us. And you can especially lose sight of that in companies that have relatively flat hierarchies. You know, there are plenty of anecdotal accounts of junior staff members assigning tasks or subtasks within these apps to their bosses, because the flat hierarchy has confused them into thinking that everyone is truly on the same level. But if that person is signing off your performance review, then that field isn't level. And right. the same mistakes, yeah, the same mistakes can be made with commenting. Sometimes a request might be politely phrased, but it doesn't require a comment. It only requires you to act. And that brings yeah. us back to the idea around how and why these tools are, are used and implemented. Is this the more pandemic-related aspect? Partly, you know, a lot of companies have been using tools like Slack and uh, their competitors for a many years already. So those mm. companies may have an edge in how they use that software. And I say that not just from a technical standpoint, but from the behavioral standpoint. Very often when tools like this are rolled out, the focus is on explaining how they work from that kind of technical, that functional standpoint, you know, click box A to get to box B, et cetera, et cetera. But people aren't necessarily trained for the behavioral best practices of the software. Now, mm. some people might be asking what I mean by that. Well, look at email. So at the beginning of email's introduction into corporations, we were absolutely swamped with the stuff. Employees complained about the weight of email in the same way that they now complain about the instant messaging tools replacing it. Now, right. over time, companies managed to tame a lot of those distortion effects. They built behavioral policies for email, codes of content, uh, code, codes of conduct rather on how to talk to colleagues, how succinctly to reply to email, whether or not you were expected to respond out of office hours. Now, by and large, those policies still hold for these newer tools like Slack and ClickUp. And this brings us back to the performative aspects of the software. Yeah, I mean, it's the electronic equivalent of, you know, make work. Um, and as we said, there's that exponential amplification factor from the comments-based nature of a lot of the tools. So it mm. is really important for companies to come up with policies and training documents that address the behavioral aspects of these tools, especially if the bosses don't care about any of those performative aspects because if they're not looking, if they don't care, then you're essentially playing to nobody and for no reason. In fact, mm. your conduct becomes an impediment to the performance of the team. So for companies that have only started using this kind of software in the last couple of years, survival may have been uppermost in their minds rather than looking at normalizing the use of those tools and integrating them into the prevailing uh, company structures. And I can understand that they still may not feel that they have 
the breathing space to introduce those kind of behavioral policies. You know, we're in the middle of a, B, a cost of living crisis. And as much as we act as though the pandemic is over, it isn't. You know, supply chains are still disrupted and distorted. COVID is still a major cause of uh, staff absenteeism. And of course, a lot of companies are having problems with recruitment. So, Here's a question for you. Is there any link between efficiency and productivity tools and the issues surrounding recruitment? I think you'd be hard pushed to find a, a direct causal link. But what we do know is that employees are pushing back against employers more, whether it's in terms of salary or whether it's in terms of working conditions. So mm. there have been various reports this week about the attempts of corporations to bring staff back into offices. Now, mm -hmm. again, you get splits along various lines, sometimes by profession. Some jobs lend themselves to remote or teleworking more than others do. You can't telework for an Amazon warehouse job, for example. Although having said that, there has been an increase in the number of remote forklift operators over the last uh, couple of years, uh, piloting the machines like drone pilots or eSports stars because of a, a shortage of uh, uh, qualified operators in some parts of the United States, for example. But even mm. within the occupations where it is possible to telework, some people prefer to be in the office other people don't. What is clearer is that there is uh, something of a, a kind of a generational corporate shift. Tech companies, although admittedly not uniformly, seem to be more open to the idea of permanent hybrid working arrangements. Uh, I think I saw a CNN report this week um, where the review site Yelp reported that only 1% of their workers wanted to be in office all of the time. Yet we know that companies like Apple and Tesla are trying to bring people in, you know, 100% of the people into the offices. Mm, mm. For, for other companies, it's simply a financial decision. You know, they're locked into property leases and they're paying for these huge, currently largely empty premises. So why would they want to bear the costs of uh, office space and bear the costs of the tools for remote work. So it, right. it's clear we're in this kind of transformative space uh, in relation to working culture. And the problems that my friend is having with tools like Slack are a part of that transformation. So we're kind of mid journey, if you like, you know, an analogy is it's a bit like moving house, uh, mm packing and unpacking, you know, you're just in an absolutely horrible mess until everything's finished. Yeah, I mean, that's very cheery, Matt, and it's also inefficient. Well, yeah, I mean, that that uh, efficiency part, you know, um, as usual, I, I talked about this being a show of two halves, when in reality, it turns out to be a game of seven eighths and the bit left over. But um, in, <laughs> you know, whatever time we have left, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, uh, about efficiency, or rather the lack of availability of efficiency. Now, I know that's a very strange sentence. Uh, there's a great post on the Roblox uh, substack called The Efficiency Movement. It's uh, written by a strategist called uh, Rob Miller, who works for a company called Big Fish. And he talks about our obsession with uh, efficiency and how much efficient or and how we can have too much efficiency, which is a very interesting point because how much efficiency is enough? Um, did he have an answer? 
Well, I don't know if it's an answer as much as a set of observations. I did have a much longer spiel, but I realized it would put this up to about a four-hour episode. So I've had to cut <laughs> a lot out. Um, so the, thereby the, being efficient. <laughs> being efficient, but also missing uh, critical information. So the analogy I make is with lithium-ion batteries. You know, we've made enormous right. gains with those power cells, you know, so much so that we can build electric cars that have a range of hundreds of kilometers. But we've made the most of the gains that we can make with the technology that we have. So we've made most of those big efficiencies. So any gains we now make are incremental. And mm -hmm. the same may be true with workplace efficiency. You know, it's the, the same obsession that built the supply chains, the current supply chains, and the idea of just-in-time manufacturing. These ideas that turned out to be so fragile during COVID, because it turns right. out that holding inventory does have an upside when container ships can't dock in your ports. So that efficiency came at the price of resilience. Okay, so you made that analogy, uh, lithium-ion batteries. If we find a new technology uh, for producing electric cells, does that analogy um, still stand up? Yeah, and actually we are going to have a show about uh, new battery technologies because I was reading about quantum uh, battery technologies today, which I still can't understand, so I'm a long way from being able to explain it to anyone else. Um, but, you know, we are already looking at technologies to replace human workers, um, namely artificial intelligence. Automation mm -hmm. and innovation uh, in automation were also hallmarks of the pandemic. Uh, we saw things like robot kitchens in China, for example, because yeah. workers couldn't go in to make food for people, but people still needed to eat. So uh, for the most part, you know, we're still in that assistive phase of artificial intelligence, uh, similar to the production lines that needed human workers to feed the machines before they were fully automated and robots took over. That's where mm -hmm. we are now with AI. Uh, humans and AI make a good team. When or if those machine learning tools are going to be sufficiently capable of, uh, capable of taking over our jobs, that still remains to be seen. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that we've ended up in the right place today. I don't think we've come to any sense of resolution, but, you know, this is where we are. Uh, so all I can say is turn off the pings if they annoy you. Um, try to filter out what you see on Slack or whatever tools you use for work. And remember that not every comment or suggestion is helpful, especially if they come from me. <laughs> Thanks very much for that, Matt. Where can people uh, find out more information about this? Where can they follow your thoughts, um, your, yeah, your brain farts, whatever? Where can they go? Uh, they can uh, come and check me out uh, my Substack, substack.culturepop.com. So they can come and check that out. That comes out uh, two or three times a week, just short articles, um, some extensions to these shows as well. You can follow me. Well, if you're going to follow me on social media, it's probably better to find me on uh, Instagram at uh, culturemat. And of course, you can uh, go to my website, www.culturepop.com. Thanks very much for that. And of course, if you missed any part of the show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from. I recommend that BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.